You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians 13, the verses 1 to 8a. You'll notice that chapter 13 is between chapter 12 and 14. Very strategically located, chapter 12 is about the one body and the many members, and chapter 14 is about the various gifts in the body, and they are not being used very well to the upbuilding of the body, and what can be done to get the body functioning as a beautiful, harmonious whole, and the answer to that question is love. And that's why Paul begins by saying, and now I will show you the most excellent way. So love is the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, and then I'm going to read the little letter D at the bottom of the page. Some early manuscripts have a body that I may boast. So verse 3 reads as follows. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give my body that I may boast, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Text for this afternoon is the word of our God as the church has summarized that for us in Lord's Day 24. I'll look at that through the lens of 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8a. Lord's Day 23 asked the wonderful question about what does it help you now that you believe all this? And this all this is the Apostles' Creed. And the answer that this congregation gave is that we are righteous before God and heirs to eternal life. Then Lord's Day 24 picks up on that. But why can our good works would not be our righteousness before God, or at least part of it, seeing that we are righteous by faith and not by good works, because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing? even though God promises to reward them in this life and in the next, this reward is not earned, but is a gift of grace. 
Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No, it is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, why do I do what I do? Or why do you do what do you do? For instance, in the congregation of Christ, why do I make sermons? Why do I preach? Why do I make pastoral visits? Why do you, elders, make your pastoral visits and do your work in the congregation. And you, brothers and sisters, why do you busy yourself with all sorts of things within the congregation and even outside the congregation? Why do you do what you do in your families? Why do you parent the way you do? Or grandparent the way you do. And children, why do you treat each other if there's more than one child in a family? Why do you interact with one another the way you do in your family? And why do you treat your parents the way you do? And husbands and wives. Why do you treat one another the way you do? Why do I treat my wife the way I do? And she, me, the way she does? These are important questions to ask. Because Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 clearly tells us that love is the criterion for every action. So love also has to be the criterion for why I preach and why I visit the members of the congregation. Why you interact with one another the way you do in the communion of the saints. Why children interact with one another in their homes. And why spouses Treat one another the way they do. And our Lord's Day says that love or the good work of love is the evidence of our faith. There was an accusation that was being made at the time of the Reformation that when this teaching of justification by faith alone was being uh, advanced the way it was and We're remembering this at this weekend too, of course, with Reformation Day and so, that justification by faith makes people careless. You know, if you're justified by faith, if you're in the right with God by faith, then it doesn't really matter how you live, does it? You can really kind of do what you want. And one of the questions and answers of Lord's Day 24 picks up on that accusation that was very current at that time and says, well, that's... That's impossible. 
You haven't even understood the doctrine of justification by faith alone. If that's the conclusion that you draw. Because it is impossible that someone who is grafted into Christ by faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness, fruits of love, we can say. So the questions are important. Love is the criterion for everything we do. Love is the evidence of our faith. In fact, it is impossible that you and I are grafted into Christ and not love. Because God is love. And Christ is God. And we're grafted into Christ. First then, the criterion of everything that we do. Paul speaks about, if I speak in the tongues of angels and of men. And in chapter 14, verse 2, he talks about, if I speak in tongues, I am speaking to God. We're not speaking to, to men, but to God. So obviously, this speaking in tongues as of angels and of men must be a sort of praying in tongues. Praying to God having somehow contact with the heavenly world. People did that in Corinth. They prayed in the tongues as of angels and of men. And they were pretty proud of it too. And today, we may not pray in tongues, but we do pray. And so it's possible to be very eloquent in prayer. It's possible for a minister to be very eloquent in prayer. Or an elder or a parent or anybody here. Metaphorically speaking, can pray in the tongues as of angels and of men. Paul says, if you don't love people, if you don't love people close to you, you don't love your biological brother and sister or your spiritual brother or sister, you're a noisy gong. A gonging piece of... What was that again? A, uh, an echoing bronze. Yeah, Corinth was known for bronze. And they had these bronze vases or vases that were used in the theater in order to amplify the actor's speech. And so the people of Corinth would right away know what Paul was talking about. You're nothing but the hollow echo of a bronze vase. That's all you are. And the clanging cymbal, those were things that were used in the mystery religions. They had their trumpets and their clanging cymbals. And this pagan worship was just one piece of frenzied activity. People in Corinth would pick up on that right away. All your speaking in the tongues as of angels and of men, all your eloquence in prayer and worship to God is nothing but the frenzied worship of pagans. Imagine if the young man in charge of the sound system would kind of turn up the mic in such a way or the sound system in such a way that you, you hear this screeching 
screeching noise throughout the whole church. Well, that's what, that's what Paul's talking about. That's the noisy gong. And imagine the credo band with their cymbals. You know, they're playing a beautiful piece of music and then you got these three or four cymbal players and you just go, just go clapping through. It's like, yeah, no, you're not going to like that performance. That's what Paul's saying. You're nothing but these clanging cymbals in the credo band. It's also possible, says Paul, to prophesy, to have access to the mind of God. And whereas today we may not receive a direct word from God as they did in those days, it's still possible to have access to the mind of God today. Through reading in the Scriptures, we have access to the mind of God. It's possible today to have all sorts of knowledge so that you can have insight into all sorts of mysteries. It's possible today to be very strong in faith, to have an exemplaric trust in the Lord. But Paul says if you don't love people, if you don't love people close to you, those whom God has placed on your path, you're nothing. You're just a big zero. I'm a big zero. You're a big zero. And it's possible, says Paul, to give away all your possessions. Do lots of benevolence. And then to give away your body, not to be burned, but your body in voluntary slavery. That happened in those days. People would actually give themselves away so that other people could be ransomed out of slavery. But apparently some of those people would do that so that they could boast. Look what I did. You have not love. You don't love people. It profits you nothing. It doesn't benefit you. It doesn't benefit, really benefit other people either. And so it's possible to do anything today. And if we don't love people, it's possible to be very skilled at all sorts of things. Things which you are humbly proud of. If we don't have love, it's like those three players in the credo band spoiling the whole concert with their clanging of the cymbals right through all of that beautiful music. It's like Dwayne turning up the loudspeaker. That's what it is. In God's ears, And in other people's ears. That's what it is. And why is this the case? Why is love so important? Why is it the criterion of everything that we do? So that if we don't have this love, we are nothing. It profits nothing. It's just a bunch of hoopla. That's all it is. Because God is love. That's right. Children, God is love. Isn't that beautiful? God is all the way love. Even in His wrath, 
He's love. God is always focused on the other. That's what love is. God's always focused on the Son. And He's always focused on the Spirit. He's not focused on Himself. And the Son is always focused on the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit is always focused on the Son and on the Father. The Spirit doesn't teach us to say, Oh, Holy Spirit! He teaches us to cry, Abba, Father. And He teaches us to say, Jesus is Lord. There you have it. He focuses on Jesus. And He focuses on the Father. The Trinity is love from first to last, always considering the other better. And God created us, created this world so that this world and we could share in that love. God didn't have to create, but because He's love, He created so that the world and we can live and move and have our being in this other-centered love. That's why he said, let us create man in our image. What image? The image of love. Let us create humankind so that they can share our Trinitarian love and reflect our Trinitarian love in this world. That's how we glorify God. That's how we are the presence of God to one another and to a watching world. By living in love and reflecting God's love. That's how we enjoy God. What is the chief end of man? The Westminster Catechism asks. That we may glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How do you enjoy God? By living in love. Living and moving in love. Like a bird flies in the air and a fish swims in water. So we fly in love and swim in love. That's our element. When we do, we're happy. We're content. We enjoy God. This is the most excellent way. It's pretty pathetic in the church of Corinth. Such a divided church. All sorts of factions. I'm from Apollos. I'm from Cephas. They're taking each other to court. They're pigging out at the Lord's Supper. Very, very divided church. Puffed up about their spiritual gifts. Paul wonders, how can I bring all of that together? How can this church be healed? And the only medicine for healing for that church is love. Living in love. Traveling the highway of love. 
Because love is the most excellent way. Love unites. Self-centered behavior separates. You realize, of course, that this makes love much more than a feeling. This fuzzy feeling that comes and goes. We're always supposed to love, but feelings come and go. So love is much more than a feeling. Love is a habit. Love is a learned habit. Just like our organist has trained himself to play the organ and the piano very well. He's trained himself. So we have to train ourselves to love. Just like others who have hobbies and skills. You practice so that the more you practice, the more skilled you become. It becomes an ingrained habit. You can almost do these things without thinking. It's a second nature. That's what love is. It's a habit. And it's only cultivated in community. You see, if you go off to a monastery and you live in a cell all of your life, how are you going to learn to deal with exasperating people? How are you going to learn to deal with people who are unkind to you? You're not, because you're in your little cell all the time. You may love in your head, but you're not loving in the interface of human activity. So you can't learn how to love. It's learned in the interface of the give and take of community. In a marriage. In a family. When your brother or sister bugs you. Now that's, that is how you learn how to love. Paul especially has the church as a community in mind. Because the church of Corinth wasn't really much of a communal church. And yet the church is supposed to be the standard and the model of love. It's supposed to be trained in loving one another. The communion of saints, the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, has a character-forming task. Namely, forming the task of learning how to love. And the members of Corinth weren't getting it. They just weren't getting it. And all those things that Paul says about love is not this, not that, not that, those are all things that were happening in Corinth. Why do you think he says love is not envious? Because all sorts of Brothers and sisters were envious of one another in Corinth. In chapter 3, verse 3, he says, you're always quarreling with one another. Just like siblings can quarrel with one another in a family. And brothers and sisters can quarrel with one another in the communion of the saints. Love doesn't boast. All sorts of Christians were boasting in Corinth. I belong to the faction of Cephas. I belong to the faction of Paul. 
I belong to the faction of Jesus. You know, got the best faction. Boasting. Love is not puffed up. Why? Well, every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the church was puffed up in Corinth. Look at me. You know, I can pray in the tongues as of angels and of men. Hey, I'm so eloquent in prayer. Love is not puffed up, says Paul. Love is not rude. Why does he say that? Because the rich were so rude in Corinth. They had these agape meals, these love meals. And the rich brought lots of food. And then they celebrated the Lord's Supper at these potlucks in Corinth. And the poor members of the congregation, they got nothing. These rich people were just rude. That's what they were. Love is supposed to bind the congregation together. Supposed to learn how to love in the interface of riches and poverty in the congregation. And the Corinthians weren't getting it. Love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. Why does he say that? Because they had this problem about meat being offered to the idols. And then they had someone over for supper, for a barbecue. And they said, yeah, yeah, I bought this piece of meat on the marketplace. And it was offered to an idol. Yeah, but my conscience doesn't allow me to eat that. Well, I'll eat it anyway. You know, so it's just very self-seeking. They were unwilling to forgo their T-bone steak for a meal because they wanted to dig their teeth into that T-bone steak so badly. Very self-seeking people. It's not easily angered. Doesn't keep a record of wrongs. A little hard to trace that in Corinth. Must be there somewhere. And doesn't rejoice in evil. Why does he say that? Because they were taking each other to court. That's what they were doing. Instead of solving their problems in the church, they were going to secular judges. Unnecessarily. They were rejoicing in evil. Love doesn't do that. So all of their taking one another to court, all of their being rude with one another at the agape meals, all of their boasting about I belong to this faction and I to that. Paul says, it's like those three musicians in the Credo band. Frenzied pagan worship, that's all it is. It's a bunch of hoopla. It profits you nothing. It undermines the well-being of the congregation. It doesn't build it up. But love does. Love is patient. Love is so patient with an exasperating brother or sister. Is so kind. Patient is long-suffering. You suffer because of it. But you hang in there. Long-suffering. That's what love is. It always protects If you have the opportunity to make someone look stupid or foolish, love doesn't do it. Love always protects. It never makes fun of someone else. Love always trusts. If there's two or three possibilities, there's scenario one, it's really bad scenario. Scenario two is a little less bad. And scenario three is the best one. 
Love always picks the best one. It always trusts. It always gives others the benefit of the doubt. And love always hopes. Maybe your trust can run out. Even though it says love always trusts. Let's assume that your trust runs out. Love always hopes for a better day. And love endures all things. Love always holds on to the objects of its love. To those whom people love. And because it does, it's like the sound of a beautiful symphony. There's no clashing cymbals clashing out of whack and out of tune. The microphone isn't turned up and you don't have that screeching noise. It profits everything. It binds people together. It binds marriages together. Families together. Congregations together. This is why love is the criterion for everything. This is why love is the evidence of our faith. It's impossible that we really believe in Jesus and we don't love. Not perfectly, mind you, but we we don't love. The focal point of our life is not love. That, That just is not true. Because love is of God. Whoever loves has been born of God. And the faith that you and I have has regenerated us so that we love a little bit like God loves. How's it going? In this congregation... What's the love quotient in this church? What's it like, brothers and sisters, in your families, children, in your homes? How much love is there between your brothers and sisters, your parents, spouses? What's it like? You and your wife. Your wife and you. How easily angered do you get? How many wrongs are you keeping a record of? Am I keeping a record of? How much do we ridicule one another? The questions could go on and on. And remember, love is cultivated in community. The church is meant to be the standard of love for one another and for a watching world. So that if someone, you're talking to an unbelieving, a non-Christian acquaintance and you're talking about love, 
And he or she asks, well, what is love? You say, come to the church. I invite you to come to my congregation on Sunday or even during the week. And you will see the incarnation of love, the embodiment of love. It's one big beehive of other-centered activity. No one's puffed up. No one's rude. No one's looking after number one. Everybody's got the other on his mind all the time. Praying for the other. Visiting the other. How do we receive this love? So that we're not a noisy gong. They were not a clanging symbol. How can we receive this love so that the congregation can have, can fulfill its character forming task for one another and for the world? And Lord's Day 24 says, through faith. That's right. You can only have this through faith. You can't do this of yourself. Focused on the other completely. It can only happen through faith. I once came across this neat little acronym about faith. It's F period, A period, I period, T period, and H. So if you're taking notes, this is important. Just write this down. F is for forsaking. And the A is all. You forsake all. And the I is for I, me. And the T is for take. And the H is a double H. It's hold in Him. Forsaking all. I take hold of Him. Jesus. Or as Article 22 says so beautifully, faith embraces Jesus. That's what faith does. Faith embraces Jesus. Because Jesus has embraced you. Jesus' loving arms are around this congregation. And His loving arms are around each and every member of this congregation. And faith is our response to this love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Embraces the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus becomes the source of this other-centered love. Faith is just the arm. Faith is the connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of our love. And He's able to be the source of our love because He was always patient, always kind. Jesus never kept kept a record of wrongs. He didn't. He never was rude. He always trusted. Always protected. 
always persevered. Jesus' love never ended. Look at Him hanging on the cross. Stark naked. That's what they did in those days. They crucified Him stark naked. Bleeding away. He's got this crown of thorns just kind of pushed in His head, you know, and blood's just kind of coming out there. Did that for you. Did that for me. Did that for the congregation. That's how other-centered his love was. He didn't think of his own agony, his own pain. And I haven't even talked about the, the wrath of God. Those three dark hours. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' love never ended. And when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are joined to Him by faith. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh, says Paul, quoting Genesis 2. And then he adds, but I am talking about Christ and the church. This is a mystery, a great mystery to be sure. When we believe in Jesus, we become one flesh with Him. As Lord's Day 28 or 29 says so well, we, we become bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh. We are grafted into Him like a a branch is grafted into a vine. Just like all the beautiful and healthy nutrients of a vine, they flow through the vine and from the vine they go into the branch, you know. So when we are grafted into Jesus, Jesus' patience, Jesus' kindness, Jesus always persevering, always protecting, Jesus not being rude, just kind of flows into us. It's a mystery. That's what the Bible says. It's impossible for those who are grafted into Jesus to not bring forth fruits of love. And God rewards this when we believe. When we deny ourselves And take hold of Jesus Christ. Are grafted into Him. God rewards that. The congregation becomes a model of other-centered love. The congregation becomes the, the field, as it were, in which love is cultivated. And the members of the congregation, they understand their task. That each one has a task to form and shape the character of his or her fellow brother and sister so that he, so that he or she can learn to love. Just like by the grace of God, he himself or she herself has learned to love. God rewards the congregation. 
in this life when it believes. And God rewards families. Families were now, if you were to take a look, it may sound like this clashing of clashing symbols. It's not a school of love at all. It's one big cacophony of noise, all hoopla. You believe in Jesus, the hoopla stops. The cacophony stops and you get a symphony. A symphony of love. And God rewards husbands and wives. There may be all sorts of self-centered behavior in marriages. But when you, by the grace of God, we learn to deny ourselves and take hold of the Lord Jesus. The separations cease. Unity takes place. And you begin to have the same kind of harmony and integration that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoy in the life of the Trinity. And you learn to move with the Trinity in this life as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit move through this life. You get caught up in the movement of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the loving movements of the Trinity. And you move with them. Instead of stepping on each other's toes, you don't step on each other's toes anymore. You learn to love, just like you learn to practice an instrument, the organ or the violin. You become skilled in loving. And life opens up and blossoms like it never did before. And God rewards the congregation in the life to come. It's a reward of grace, mind you. It's not earned. Even our best works are defiled by sin, says Lord's Day 24. But these works of love are rewarded because the Lord Jesus Christ is rewarding His own work in the congregation. It's all His work from first to last. And so when He puts a little crown on our heads and He says to us, well done, you faithful servant, He's actually saying, well done to His own work in you and through you. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.